Um, this is really it's more of a jumping off point than a, a, a text, but um, <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, I don't think it's a mystery, is, is my favorite passage, if you will, but my favorite verses in the Bible come from this passage. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29, God had told them that they were going to be carried away captive into Babylon for 70 years because he warned them and he warned them over and over and over that that was going to happen if they didn't turn back to God. They didn't turn back to God and so he said, all right, I've got to follow through on what I told you I was going to do. You're going to go off into captivity for 70 years. But he says this in verse number 11, and boy, if this does not describe the, like even Brother John talked about it this morning, the mercy of God. Uh, the whole point of them being carried off into captivity into Babylon was not, oh, you, I, I'm getting you guys back. You, y- y'all didn't do what I told you to do, and so now I'm going, to, I'm going to make you pay for it. He said, you're going to be carried away into captivity. And it's almost, it's, it's almost as if God is apologizing to them. Now, he, he's not apologizing, but that's kind of the tone of the passage. I don't want to do this. I have to do this. And here's why. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Now the message this morning is it's meant to be an encouragement to you. And I hope you, I hope you take it that way. I hope you think about it that way. But I hope you've been thinking about some resolutions for the new year. Uh, we're just around the corner from that. And... Someone said New Year's resolutions usually go in one year and out the next. And that's usually the way that it is for most people with resolutions, right? You make them, you plan them, you got all these plans to keep them, and you get through the middle of the year and you say, well, there's always next year, right? That's the way most people do it with their resolutions. Well, let me bore you with some statistics. I thought they were kind of interesting. 41% of people usually make resolutions. 42% of people absolutely never make resolutions. Um, this, here's the top reasons for making New Year's resolutions in 2021. Now, obviously, this doesn't add up to 100, and so it's, you know, people can do multiple things. 50% of people that they polled said that one of their resolutions, at least one of their resolutions, was to lose weight or eat healthier. If that's not the, re- I don't know, I can't believe it's not like 98%, because doesn't everybody always say they want to lose weight and eat healthier, right? But it's only 50%. 44% said they wanted to make better financial decisions. 21% said they wanted to pursue career ambitions. 18% said they wanted to spend more time with family or close friends. 14% said they wanted to take up a new hobby. 13% said they wanted to spend less time on social media. 10% said they wanted to quit smoking. 10% said they wanted to do more good deeds for others. 2% said they wanted to quit drinking entirely. But I thought this was pretty interesting. By, by demographics, 37.8% of people in their 20s reached their New Year's goals. That's pretty high, 38%. 16.3% of people over 50 reached their goals. Uh, I think as you get older, you're just like, you know what? Why keep trying? Whatever. I've tried this many times before, right? I've done this 50 times, and it hasn't worked, so why keep trying now? But here's where it gets interesting. People who maintain their goals through the first week, 75% of people that made a, a resolution we're still doing that through the first week. Hey, poor 25%, right? How long did it last? Two days? <laughs> Past two weeks, it was 71% of people. Past one month, 64% of people were still keeping their New Year's resolution. And if you, if you look at those same people, past six months, 46% of people that made a resolution were still keeping that resolution six months later. That's almost half of the people that made a resolution were still following through with that uh, uh, six months later. But, get this, 
Of those people who had similar goals but did not make it a resolution, only 4% were still successful after six months. That means the people who made a resolution, I'm going to do this, I'm writing it down, I'm, I'm setting a plan, I'm going to follow through with this, are 10 times more likely to do whatever it is that that goal was six months into the year than people who just said, yeah, it'd be nice to lose some weight, right? It'd be nice to do this, it'd be nice to do that, but an actual resolution. Now, why do people fail in their resolutions? Well, they've done a study on that too. 35% of participants who failed their New Year's resolutions said they had unrealistic goals. Yeah, you know what? If I said I wanted to lose 50 pounds, it's probably an unrealistic goal, right? Uh, or I want to learn a new language this year. Probably unrealistic, you know? Not impossible, but unrealistic for most people. 33% of those people who failed didn't keep track of their progress, and that's why they failed. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I lost any weight. I just tried to eat healthier. I tried to do this. I tried to do that, but I don't know if I did or not. They didn't follow through. 23% forgot about their resolutions. <laughs> that's, probably the, that's probably the 25% that failed in the first week, right? But about one in 10 people who failed said they made too many resolutions. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to make better financial decisions. I'm going to pursue a career. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Too many of them, and they, they failed in those things. But I can also tell you this. People who never make resolutions never keep them. So I, I hope you are making resolutions. I hope you have some things in mind that, hey, these are, this is a goal that I want to do. I, I actually, I've got a couple things that I want to make sure I do every single day this year. And so I made up a little chart that is, uh, it's got all the months and it's got all the days in the month. So you can check them off. Kind of like we've been doing with the uh, Bible reading this year. Having that chart makes a huge difference. You can check off every day and make sure you're doing it, right? And it's the same type of thing. And I left them in the printer at home. So I'm going to bring them. I'll bring them tonight, and if you want one, you can have one. Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing really fancy necessarily, but it's something that will help you keep track of, I want to do this every day, or I want to not do this every day, whatever it is, and I'm going to go this many days without you know, eating this or without doing that or whatever. It's just a way to help kind of keep track and, and make sure you're following through with your goals. It's good to make resolutions because we always need to be trying to improve. Uh, you ought to be consistently looking back and looking for ways to make the future better than the past. If you're not, if you're not actively looking for ways to make your future better, and I, and I mean this in every aspect, not just physical, but spiritually. If you're not trying to be stronger spiritually today than you were yesterday, then what is that? It's backsliding. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards, right? And we would never say, well, I'm a, I'm a backslidden Christian, but how many people are not moving forward for God? How many people are not better as a Christian today than they were six months ago or they were last time at the, last year at this time, right? And if you're not moving forward, then you're moving backwards. And the only way that you can track your progress to see if I'm moving forward is, hey, here's some things that I can use to gauge what I, whether I'm doing what God wants me to do or not, whether I'm moving forward as a Christian or not. I'm not into mythology, but I read that the month of January is named after the Roman god Janus, J-A-N-U-S. And he's actually pictured as a man with two faces, one that's looking forward and one that's looking backward. That's what this God looked like. And I think it's pretty interesting that, you know, uh, that January, as the first day of the month, is named after a God who's looking forward and looking backwards at the same time, right? And that's obviously what we need to be doing. We need to be looking back and say, this is where I failed. This is where, and, and honestly, we, we focus on that a lot of times. Oh, I failed in this. I failed in this. I need to do that better. But we can also look at the things that, you know what? I did, I did well with that. Let me continue that. 
A lot of us did that with, with Bible reading this year, right? You read the Bible every single day or close to every single day. You read the Bible through in a year. Look back and say, man, that's a success. I need to continue doing that. I need to get another plan, either read through the Bible again or, or, or come up with some other kind of plan that I'm going to spend time, you know, reading through this book or, you know, I'm going to read at least one chapter a day or, or something, something, and, that's, and then track that progress. Because if you look back and you say, man, did I do a chapter every day? Oh, I don't know. Did I skip a day? Well, keep track of it, right? Follow through with it. And it's, it's good to have those kind of resolutions. But let's talk about what lies ahead of us this morning. I want to share with you just a few thoughts, and we're going to look at a couple different verses along with those about looking at the new year. Looking at the new year. We're right around the corner from it. What can we learn from this year, and what can we learn by looking forward into next? Let's pray. We'll look at a few things this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us and for the opportunity you've given each one of us to start afresh, to start over if we need to, to make some changes that need to be made, and to, and to start the new year off on a, on, a good, on a good note, the right foot, and uh, if we need to, to turn over a, a new leaf, uh, start on a new page, and just continue forward for you. I pray that you'd help every one of us to make progress forward in our spiritual lives this year, and even in our physical lives for that matter, but that you'd be pleased with how we live, that you'd be pleased with what we do. Well, thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I, I think that uh, we need to do, in fact, turn over to First uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 23. First Chronicles chapter 23. First thing is to look back and thank God. Look back and thank God. One of the things most of us are guilty of is not thanking God enough. How often, and I've said this quite a few times, mostly on Wednesday night during our prayer meetings and things, but uh, think about how often we beg God for things. And then when he answers that request, oh, we might tell him thank you a time or two. God, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. But how many times did you pray and beg God for him to do that for you? If we would thank God as much as we begged God, I think we'd get a lot more things from God. Uh, we are so generally as a people unthankful. And you start to think about, man, how good we have it. I was just, I don't even know why. I, maybe I read a story or something like that and it, and it popped into my mind. We have it so good in America. You know, you think about how uh, uh, I mean, even, even uh, talking with Nitin, you know, and, and uh, he, he gave some money to a, a lady that was really struggling that, that they've been in contact with over there in India, lost her husband, gave her, gave her what, equivalent of about 80 or $90, and we were talking about that, and he said, yeah, that, that'll get her definitely through an entire month, maybe two months, 80 to $90, and these people are going, and they're working, and they're making a, a dollar or two a day. You know, and it's not that, oh, they can just go buy everything for so cheap. They're living on rice and living in a hut with a dirt floor and, you know, they have nothing and they're thankful for it because, man, I got everything I need. And then we have everything we need. We've got every convenience and every comfort and all. We look around and we say, oh, man, if only I had. And we start naming all these things that we wish that we had that we could be like everybody else. We are so unthankful as a people and especially to God. Think about what he's done for us. Think about what he's given us. Think about, you know, yes, you go through difficult times, but overall, your life is good. Amen. You have a great life Amen. compared to most of the people in the world. I mean, think about your health. Do you go through difficult times? Do you have issues? Yeah, every single one of us does. But there's a man sitting in a house right behind us who was thankful that he was able to move two of his middle fingers. How unthankful we are for our health. How unthankful we are for the blessings that we have of being able to get up and move around and breathe and live and, and just 
do what we want to do, right? You don't realize what you have until you don't have it. We ought to be thankful for what we have before we are forced to be thankful for what we have and wish that we had what we lost. The Bible says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 30, and to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at even. How often do you do that? How often do you just stop and thank the Lord in the morning for what he's done for you? How often do you take time in the evening to just stop and thank the Lord for what he's done for you? You don't have to turn there, but Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. That's a command. Be thankful. Be thankful. In everything give thanks, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I'll tell you what one of it is. Be thankful. Amen. Be thankful. Look back and thank God. The new year is a great time for reflections. Maybe you made some mistakes this year. Maybe you didn't fulfill your resolutions from last year. Maybe you started off with the good intention of reading through the Bible this year and you got about halfway and everything just kind of fizzled out on you and whatever else. Start over. Look back. Look at those failures. Realize that it was a failure and make a resolution that you're going to do it this year. There's always, there's always, now is always a good time to start. Maybe it was a rough year for you physically. That's no reason not to thank God. You're still alive. If you're saved, you're still going to heaven. His grace still shows itself in your life. His mercy still extends to you every single day. His love is still evident. There's a whole lot of things to thank God for. Yeah, there's difficult times. Yeah, there's issues that we go through. Yeah, there's things that we look back and say, man, that was tough. Man, I wish I didn't have to go through that. But that's no reason not to thank God. Look at how God's worked in our church. Look at how he's worked in your family. Look at how he's provided for you. Thank God for what he did allow you to accomplish. Right? Thank God for getting you through another year. Thank God for all his blessings. Thank God for who he is. I've been young and now I am old, David said. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He's going to take care of us. And he has taken care of us. There's not one person in this room this morning that doesn't have a house to go home to. Not one person this morning that doesn't have food that they can put on the table, clothes that they can wear, a car that they can drive. We all have so much that we've been given from God. There was a story that was written about a man who found a barn where Satan kept all of his seeds that he was ready to sow in the human heart. And he found the seeds of discouragement were more abundant than any of the other seeds that Satan had to sow. And he learned that those seeds could be made to grow just about anywhere. When Satan was questioned, he reluctantly had to admit that there was one place that he could never get those seeds to thrive. Where is that? The man asked him. And Satan said, in the heart of a grateful person. I cannot get the seeds of discouragement to grow in the heart of a grateful person. We have so much that we can look back and thank God for about the past year. But the second thing is we need to look forward and trust God. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Look back and thank him. Look forward and trust him. Maybe you did have a rough year. Maybe everything didn't go according to the way you thought it was going to go. We'd do well to take the advice of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can't do anything about the past, but I can do something about the future. And I can put my future in the hands of a God who knows what that future holds. 
I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes, let alone in five months or five years. I don't know, but I know the one who does. And I should be looking forward because I can trust him to know what's going to happen going forward. I had a wrestling coach who always used to get on us about keeping our heads up while we were on the wrestling mat. He always used to say, where your head is looking is where you're going to go. And I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but I never forgot it. I always thought about that. Where you look is where you're going to go. If you look down, that's where you're going to go. If you look up, that's where you're going to go. And that's great advice. Where you look is where you're going to go. And if we look toward Jesus Christ, that's the direction we're going to move. If we look toward, I've got to trust him, then we'll trust him. Where you look is where you're going to go. That's not the, this is not the year to cower behind past failures or past accomplishments. Yeah, we always talk about that. Oh, I just, I, I'm such a failure. Don't, don't look at your past and think that God cannot use you. There's so many stories in the Bible of men and women who failed, yet because they trusted God, God was able to use them in a great way. Some of the greatest Bible characters that we know failed miserably. Look at David, right? A man after God's own heart. He failed miserably, and if he had just said, oh, God could never use me again because look at this failure, we wouldn't know the stories of David. Look at, look at Rahab. Look at Moses. Look at Joshua at Ai. He failed miserably. Look at Peter. He failed miserably. He denied Jesus Christ in a moment when he said he would never deny Jesus Christ. Right? Look at Paul. Look at some of these other Bible characters. The list goes on. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Look forward and trust him. Don't look at your past accomplishments either and think that you've accomplished all that you need to for God. Oh, I've been at it a long time. Boy, I, boy you should have seen the things we used to do at church. You should have seen the things that we used to accomplish in ministries. I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to, I used to, I used to. Those are past accomplishments, but you can't rest on those past accomplishments. Look forward to what God wants you to do. Trust him and move forward. If you're still alive, then he still has a plan for your life because his plan would end if you were dead. His plan doesn't end because you're not dead, and you still have something that you can accomplish for God. You may not be able to do everything that you used to be able to do, but if you are physically able to get up and move around and walk around, then you are physically able to do something for God. And don't, you can't look at your past accomplishments and think that, think that you've accomplished everything that you need. If you've had past victories, great. There's a whole lot more victories that you need to win, right? Don't let your guard down. Don't stop driving forward. Don't stop trusting God the same way that you did back when God was really using you. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, right? You're running a marathon and you get to 26 miles and stop. You didn't finish the marathon, you did a lot. You accomplished a whole lot, but you still have to do that 0.2 miles to cross the finish line. That's where so many Christians fail. Ah, I'm almost there. You know what? I think I'll sit down and rest. Oh, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Push on through the finish line. Look forward and trust God. Number three, turn over to Revelation chapter three. You can keep your finger there. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to be in both of those passages here. But number three, look within and find God. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's standing at your heart's door. He's waiting for you to let him in. We talked about that last week. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice 
and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. When I say look within and find God, I'm not saying, oh, we all have God within us. We just need to find that. I'm not saying that. But God is standing at your heart's door knocking. You need to let him in. But if you're saved, if you already have Jesus Christ in your heart, then this is a year to let him work in your life. Boy, there's no time like this time to allow God to work in your life. America desperately needs to see a revival. Let it begin with you. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse number 25 says this. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Boy, what a, what a goal for this year. Let him sprinkle that water on you. Let him clean you. Let him purify you. Let him send a revival, and let it start with you. Boy, most of the revivals that's, that, that we've seen throughout history did not start with a pastor. Most of them started with a layman in a church who God gave a strong desire and a strong burden to to see a revival in his heart. And that spread to the people in his church and that spread to other churches and that spread to the country. We need a revival. Why not let it start with you? Why not let God do something in your life? Let him sprinkle that water and purify you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He wants to renew us. He wants to revive us. We're so accustomed to swaying with the latest trends in, in culture and with the latest trends in, in churches that we don't even know how to get a hold of God anymore. When difficult times come, and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be something that you face this year that's not easy. It may not be difficult by somebody else's standards, but it's not going to be easy. I need to be on praying ground and know how to get in touch with God. What happens when you have a loved one that you get that call and, hey, they're in the hospital and they're clinging to life and death. This person was in an accident and they're on the verge. What are you going to, you got to go get right with God before you can start praying? God, I need to confess this. God, you know that I haven't been living my life the way that you want me to, but please do this for me. Please, please, I need you to do something for me. I need to be on praying ground so that when something happens or when I'm asked to pray, I can go directly to God and I don't have to say, boy, I hope I'm hoping the prayers aren't bouncing off the ceiling again like they normally do. We need to be on praying ground. We need to be in prayer practice, right? You can't just go out and run a marathon if you haven't been practicing you can't just go out and do different things if you haven't been practicing to do those things. I would never get in the ring with Mike Tyson or one of these other guys. Right? I, I know how to box a little bit. I did some of it growing up, but I would never go get in the ring with one of those guys. I'm not practiced. I'm not in shape for that. Right? I, would get, I would get flattened in, in probably 30 seconds on the mat, and that's because I ran around faster than he did for those 29 seconds before he got me the first time, right? But if I want to be ready to pray because somebody says, hey, this is desperately needed, can you pray? I need to be practiced in prayer so I can go to God and say, I'm here again. We, we talked this morning. We talked a few minutes ago, but we need you. I need to be on praying ground. And that's not going to happen unless I am right with God when difficult times come. I need to be where God needs me to be. I need to be where my family needs to be. I need to be where my church needs me to be. 
In fact, most of the things that we endure, we're enduring because God's trying to make us stronger and more like him. And he's trying to push us to our knees. He's trying to drive us to him. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Yeah, you think it's evil. Yeah, you think it's bad. Yeah, you think it's horrible. And maybe it is. But it's not because I'm mad at you or because I hate you. It's because I'm trying to drive you to me. Then shall you go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Those difficulties that God brings are to bring us closer to him. They're to drive us to our knees. They're to drive us to him. He's trying to get our attention to show us where we are wrong and where we can do better. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. This is a very familiar verse to you. The problem with so many people is that their affections are set on things on this earth instead of on the things of God. And it's a trap that if we're not careful to look out for, any one of us can fall into that trap. Focused on this earth, focused on these things, focused on money or, or whatever. We get so focused on so many things that, that in the grand scheme of eternity don't count for anything. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2 is a command to set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. One pastor said it this way, I should set my affection just like you set a thermostat. I make a decision about where it should be and then I keep it set there. Most people are a lot more like a thermometer than a thermostat. While the thermostat controls the atmosphere, a thermometer just goes up or down according to the temperature around it. We need to set our affection both in our marriage and in our walk with God and make sure we keep bringing it back to the right place whenever it, gets, whenever it begins to drift. Do you notice that there was something that was curiously missing from the top 10 resolutions in 2021? Nowhere in that list did I see somebody say, I want to get closer to God. Nowhere did we see that somebody said, I want to see a revival in my life or in my country, or I want to pray more for myself or for this country this year. You didn't see that anywhere in the list of the top 10 things in 2021, right? Isn't that so indicative of our age, so indicative of Christianity? Because I'll tell you this, how sad is it that this is a Christian nation, and supposedly we have so many Christians throughout this country, and we can't even register 1% of people that say they want to move forward for God spiritually? That's indicative of where we are as a nation. That's indicative of where we are as a church, as a whole. And I'm not talking about this church, but I'm talking about the church in general. Our church is. They're filled with people on Sunday mornings. Some of these massive places that have 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people, none of them registered that they wanted to move forward for God this year? To even put 1% of people as saying they want to do something for him? What a great year to truly find God. And that requires looking inside to see what's there. It requires looking inside and being totally honest with yourself about what is there. Most of the things that you do that are not right, you know they're not right, but you choose to ignore them. Most of the things that you don't do that you know you should be doing, you choose to ignore them. I say we need to look inside and find God. He's already there. Most of the time, he's just buried under so much rubble and so much stuff that we have to just continually, that we've continually piled into our life that we don't even see him. We don't even recognize his existence. Unpile the rubbish. Move the things out of the life that need to be moved out of life and find God in your life. Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, 
Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. We need to get the sin out. We need to get the weeds out of our lives. We need to oil the hinges to the door of our heart and allow God to come in. Ask him to honestly show you what you need to get rid of. And I promise you, if you're honestly asking him, show me, he will. Well, we'll say that. God, I, I want to be right with you. Show me what I need. But we're saying it because, well, I know this is what I should say. I know this is what I should ask him. But if you are honestly asking him, God, what do I need to change? What do I need to do different so that I can be what you need me to be? He'll show you. He'll show you. You'll hear the messages in a different way. You'll read the Bible in a different way. Your prayer life will be different. Your time with God will be different. The things that you listen to and watch and read will be different. That's how God changes you when you really want that change in your life. Amen. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, it says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we believe. The church is a sleeping giant. And the devil is fine with a gigantic church as long as it's asleep. But the church is asleep. And like he says here, it's high time to awake out of sleep. We need men and women who are going to awake to righteousness and say, this is the year that I'm going to get completely right with God. We need boys and girls who say, I'm just determined that I'm going to just do what's right. I'm just determined that I'm going to obey. I'm just going to determine that I'm going to have the right attitude. I'm just determined that I'm going to live for God as much as I know how. If the church ever awakens from her slumber, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with. But until then, the devil is perfectly content to let Christians sleep because he's not afraid of a sleeping church. It doesn't matter how big it is. If the church is asleep, we're nothing to be reckoned with. But when the church awakes, and that's why I say we need to see a revival. That's what revival is, is a church waking up. Revival is not hundreds of people getting saved. Revival is Christians that were alive and have died or gone to sleep, being revived, being reawakened, and that reawakening and that revival in their hearts makes them want to go tell other people about Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people getting saved and the church is growing and everything else is a result of revival. Churches need revival. We need revival. I need revival. We need it in our own lives so that we can see God do something again. We should look back and thank God, look forward and trust God, Look within and find God. And lastly, and quickly, we need to look around and serve God. He says in Luke, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. If we could see the world as being filled with people who are so deceived, so lost, and, and on their way to hell, it would change the way we work for God. It's very easy to get so upset at what's happening politically and, and the direction that, that many of these people are trying to take our nation. It's so easy to, 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 just, to just be upset at them. They're deceived. The devil is their father. They're going to do what he tells them to do. What we need to see is them as a lost soul on their way to hell. And if they would accept Jesus Christ as their savior, that would change everything about them. We don't need to change their politics. God will do it. We don't need to change their minds about abortion or homosexuality or any of those things. God will do it Amen. if they could just get saved. We need to see them as lost souls. We have so much to accomplish and so little time to accomplish it. I don't believe in Calvinism because God didn't predestinate some for heaven and some for hell. 
most of us would agree that according to the Bible, God gives everybody a free will, whether they're going to accept Jesus Christ or they're going to reject Jesus Christ. And those who reject Jesus Christ, how can a, how can a righteous God say, you didn't have a chance to accept me, and that's why you're in hell today? God gives every one of us a chance to accept him or reject him, but most people are not interested in going out and knocking on doors and sharing the message of the gospel. Most people are not interested in handing out a gospel tract to the, to the gas station clerk or to the, uh, to the person at the window at the drive-thru. Most people are not going to take the time to talk to their neighbors and their coworkers about Jesus Christ. By the way, do you know who your neighbor is? Do you know who lives on, on the left side of you? Have you talked to them about Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you invited them to church. Have you, have you talked to them about Jesus Christ? Do you know who the neighbor on the right side of your house is? Have you talked to them about Jesus Christ? Great. Now, who's the two that are on the other sides of them? And who's the two that live across the street from you? You're a missionary. Your neighborhood is your mission field. God called you there. Well, I didn't, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not in Africa or I'm not, in, I'm not a missionary. Yes, you are. You're a missionary to fill in the blank with your street name. That's your mission field. That's where God called you to be a witness. Don't pretend you love sinners the way that Jesus Christ loves sinners if you're not trying to warn them of where they're going to go if they reject him. Oh, I love sinners. I, 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 I love souls. Have you told them about Jesus Christ? Because they're dying and going to hell. If you really cared about them, you'd tell them that. You'd tell them that that's where they're going. If you saw somebody walking toward a pit full of fire and you said, I, I love that person, but whatever, I mean, that's their choice. I guess they're just walking that direction. Now, maybe they'll stop before they get there. And if they, I mean, hey, if they keep going, they should know better than to drop into a pit full of fire, right? No, if you love that person, you're going to say, stop, stop, don't go any further. You're about to walk into a giant pit full of fire. And then they say, ah, no, no, seriously. You don't realize what you're about to walk into. You're going to die if you go there. And they say, ah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my business, it's not yours. I know, but, but I, I care about you, and I don't want you to go there. Have you done that with those that you know, those that you love, those that you spend time with at work? Have you warned them and warned them again and warned them again? They don't know where they're headed, or they wouldn't be still headed there. We need to warn them. There are plenty of ways to serve God, and this, this might very well be the last year that you have an opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. You might be old and you might die. You might be young and you might die. Jesus Christ might come back. You don't know how much time you have left to serve Christ. But I'm telling you this, at least for myself, I want to I go out serving him. I want to go out loving him. I want to go out as, as fast as I can for him. I want to go out pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Plenty of opportunities to serve in this church. And if you say, well, I haven't found anything that fits, come talk to me. We'll fit you in. We'll find a place for you to serve. We're adding new ministries this year. We've got places and things for you to do. I, I can't think of anything that I really want to do is not an excuse for not serving God. Can't think of anything that they really need me to do is not an excuse for not serving God. There's plenty of opportunities and plenty of ways that you can serve God in this church. There's plenty of opportunities and things that you can do. I'm excited about some of the new opportunities we have. We're going to say more about that next week, but Matthew Henry, famous Bible commentator, wrote this resolution in his journal on January 1st of 1705. He said this, 
not renouncing, but repeating and ratifying all my former covenants with God and lamenting it that I have not lived up more closely to them. I do, in the beginning of this new year, solemnly make a fresh surrender of myself, my whole self, body, soul, and spirit to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, my creator, redeemer, and sanctifier, covenanting and promising, not in any strength of my own, for I'm very weak, but in the strength of the grace of Jesus Christ, that I will endeavor this year to stand complete in all the will of God. I know this is the will of God, even my sanctification. Lord, grant that this year I may be more holy and walk more closely than ever in all holy conversation. I earnestly desire to be filled with thy holy thoughts, to be carried out in holy affections, determined by holy aims and intentions, and governed in all my words and actions by holy principles. Oh, that a golden thread of holiness may run through the whole web of this year. Don't fall into the trap of making resolutions that are only satisfying to the flesh. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Those are good. You want to get healthy this year? Good, get healthy. You want to lose weight this year? Good, lose weight. You want to make better financial decisions? Good, make better financial decisions. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. But don't fall into the trap of all of your resolutions are about your physical body or your, or your physical life. We need to make resolutions that are spiritual resolutions that are going to move us forward for God this year. There's nothing wrong with making those resolutions. But as Christians, those shouldn't be our priorities. How about that I may know him? Or how about that I may be conformed to the image of his son? Frances Havergale wrote this poem to her friends in a card that she sent in 1874. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be in working or in waiting another year with thee. Another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving thy presence all the days. Let's get busy loving him. Let's get busy in our relationship with him. Let's get busy thanking him. Let's get busy trusting him. Let's get busy serving him. There's no better time to start than on the eve of this new year. What a great opportunity. We're here. 2022 is right around the corner. Somebody said that 2022 is just another way to say 2022, T-O-O. Hopefully this is not another 2020. It's a brand new start. It's a place and a time to start over. If you need to do it, do it. If you need to shore up some of the things that you're already doing, do it. But just don't stay stagnant. Don't just stand there. Don't just exist. Don't just sit in, in, in a chair in the church, and listen to the messages, and think, I, I need to do something more for God. Do it. Do it. This may be your last year to do it. What a great opportunity it is. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be servants of yours. Boy, what a job. I pray that you'd help each one of us to take seriously. Servant of Jesus Christ. There is no better title than that. King of all the world pales in comparison to servant of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd help that to be the goal and the desire of every single one of us in this room this morning. And God, if we've not made resolutions yet, I pray that you'd help us to make a decision that within these next few days, we'll evaluate our lives, see what we need to change, see what we need to fix, see what we need to continue, and then continue doing it for Jesus Christ in this year. Above all, God, I pray that you'd help us to be holy that you'd help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be. Decisions that need to be made this morning, God, I pray that they'd be made. 
and that this church would take a giant step forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand in your